This is TGen Talks. I'm Mark Moran. Nature versus nurture. How much of human behavior stems from genetics and how much from experience? Today, we're joined by Dr. Candice Lewis, a postdoctoral fellow in the Huntelman Lab in the Neurogenomics Division at TGen. Dr. Lewis studies behavioral neuroscience, and her work is at the intersection of genetics and experience. Dr. Lewis, welcome. Hello. In your experience, then, how do genetics and experience interact to influence behavior? So this is a really interesting question and has been a topic of psychology for over a hundred years. You know, the early half or the early part of the 20th century really focused on this nature versus nurture debate where you had psychologists who really chose one or the other and they went to bats about it. Eventually, they kind of came to a conclusion that it's both and everyone accepted that both our genetics and our experiences are shaping brain and behavior. But for the longest time, we really haven't known how is it that experiences are shaping brain and behavior. So for example, we've known for a long time that early experiences like trauma and stress and even trauma in adulthood, like rape or armed robbery or combat experience is highly related to mental disorders. So you have mood disorders like depression, anxiety disorders like PTSD. But the answer about how our experience is changing brain really didn't start coming out until a couple decades ago. And that's the field of epigenetics. So if you can give me some more specifics, how can our experiences alter our genes? And then how in turn does that affect behavior? So what we're learning now is when we think about genetics being something that's inherited and can't be changed, that's really referring to your nucleotide sequence. So the coding part of our genes, we get that from our parents. But what epigenetics is, is it's this regulatory mechanisms on top of the gene. So it's really what epigenetics means, epi um, from the Greek root meaning uh, over or above, and genetics. So what we're learning is that salient experiences can alter this epigenetic code, which then changes the behavior of our genes. In what ways? Give me some specifics. One of the first big findings in this was that early life stress in the form of a maternal stress, maternal stress bonding, that this can change epigenetic regulation of genes responsible for our stress system. How could you see that play out in an average person? We've known for a long time that with multiple mental health disorders that a dysregulated hypothalamic pituitary adrenal system is involved in that. So the output of the HPA system is cortisol. And a lot of people have heard about cortisol because it's in popular news pretty often. So we know that people with mental disorders tend to have dysregulated cortisol systems. So what we now know is that dysregulated cortisol system can be manifested or the mechanism can be epigenetic regulation of genes coding that system. So can you come to a conclusion and say nature versus nurture, or is it both? It's absolutely both, and I find that so fascinating. And I think really to deepen to it, really this field of epigenetics is what's explaining it. So not only do our genotypes, so the specific DNA sequence that we inherit from our parents, that's coding for variation. Um, that codes for variation in mood and cognition and creativity and height and you know, name it. We know that genetics are responsible for a lot of our variation, but we now can see how experiences are shaping a lot of these um, variation in brain system genes too. Speaking of um, altering brain systems, you did a TEDx talk at Chandler Public Library on the use of psychedelic drugs to treat severe depression and trauma. Tell me about that. Psychedelic-assisted therapy is having a resurgence. 
And this already existed before the psychedelic compounds became federal one, which is the most illegal class of substances. There were over a thousand clinical reports showing therapeutic uses of different psychedelic compounds. But in the resurgence, we have three universities in America, New York University, UCLA, and Johns Hopkins, that have all published results showing that psychedelic-assisted therapy reduces depression and anxiety related to cancer patients for up to six months after a session. This is extremely groundbreaking. There is not a current FDA-approved drug that has that long of lasting effects after only one session. Very interesting. So how does the psychedelic assisted therapy research fit with your epigenetic research work? Right now, the epigenetic field has been really focused on how traumatic experiences are altering epigenetic regulation of systems then related to mental health. My question and my hypothesis is what is the molecular mechanism underlying a psychedelic assisted therapy experience leading to decreased mental health symptoms? So from what we know in the literature that when people take psychedelics in a safe research setting, so they've been screened for family history of psychosis, they know what to expect, they're adequately prepared, they report high levels of insightfulness, a feeling of unity, and bliss. So I wonder if those feelings, those pharmacologically induced salient feelings, could be an inverse of trauma. And they might be having a reversal or a healing or a therapeutic effect on epigenetic markers related to mental health. If that is indeed true, or even partially true, it would seem like there's more research and work to be done in the field of of, uh, psychedelic-assisted therapy. Where is that going now? There's so much more to be done. And yes, that is only my hypothesis. I'm hoping to test it, but that requires funding. And right now, with these substances still being scheduled one, it's hard to obtain government's funding for them. Thus far, those three clinical trials I mentioned were all privately funded. What is the likelihood of getting additional funding for doing that kind of research? When people ask me about if this is ever going to become legal, I tell them it's not if, it's when. The FDA granted psilocybin, which is the active compound in magic mushrooms, breakthrough therapy status. So the ball's rolling, and hopefully this is going to lead to increased funding mechanisms. You're also doing uh, research in the field of autism, which is a developmental disorder that's on the rise. Do we know yet what causes autism? We do not know the cause of autism. There are There's a small percentage of cases that we can relate back to genetic causes. Uh, for example, MECP2, which is an epigenetic gene, is the cause for Rett syndrome, but Rett syndrome's been removed from the diagnostic criteria for autism spectrum disorders. So right now, it's kind of this classic developmental disorder that we consider to have genetic components and environmental components interacting together. Research in the field of autism is ongoing. What comes next? Well, the project that I'm working on is in collaboration with my wife, Dr. Braden, and we're really looking for a biological marker for autism because right now the diagnostic criteria is strictly behavior. In her lab at ASU called the Autism and Aging Lab is looking at how the aging brain and autism develops differently than neurotypicals, which is really important work. Good luck to you. Best of luck in your research. Thank you. Dr. Candice Lewis is a postdoctoral fellow in the Huntelman Lab in the Neurogenomics Division at TGen. To learn more about her research and watch her TEDx talk, visit tgen.org. This is TGen Talks. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Moran.